Move Forward Radio is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at MoveForwardPT.com. You're listening to Move Forward Radio, a podcast featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts with advice on how you can move forward. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Eric Reese. Breathing isn't something to which most of us typically give much thought. It's not just a normal part of life. It is life. We don't breathe. We don't live. It's pretty simple. If we're healthy, breathing is a natural, involuntary activity. But how many of us ever consider the quality of our breathing, the role of respiration in our overall health, whether there are ways for us to optimize our breathing, and if there are ways to do that, what that looks like? One person who's given this a great deal of thought and who has the professional training and knowledge to speak authoritatively on the subject is Rohini Chandrasekhar, a physical therapist who specializes in cardiovascular and pulmonary issues. In this episode of Move Forward Radio, she addresses the mechanics of respiration, the causes and effects of breathing dysfunction, how breathing can affect movement and pain perception, and what physical therapists bring to the table in helping people to breathe easier and, well, to move forward. Here's our conversation with Rohini. So let's start by talking about your area of expertise. Uh, physical therapists are known as, as movement experts, and, and most people, I think, tend to associate physical therapists with functions of the legs and arms but you have a specialist certification in cardiovascular and pulmonary issues, uh, which suggests the heart. What, what's the heart connection, if you will? It's true that, you know, physical therapists deal with um, movement dysfunction, and movement is just not necessarily uh, with, is associated with the arms and legs, but the arms and legs move because we have a heart and a pair of lungs. So, the specialty that I'm involved with is cardiovascular and pulmonary, which involves the heart, the circulatory system, as well as the lungs. And that is really the uh, main delivery of oxygen um, mechanism. And then the oxygen that's produced by the cardiovascular and pulmonary system is provided to the muscles and um, allow them to function, uh, you know, in, a, in the appropriate manner and in the demands that are placed on them. So it all depends upon the oxygen supply and the oxygen demand and uh, the homeostasis of both systems of, in fact, all the systems in the body are important in order to create uh, functional movement. So that's where my specialty comes in, in actually making sure that the supply end of it um, is enough for the demands of the body that are created because of um, the demands of function. So speaking of oxygen, um, breathing obviously is, is, a, is a basic function of life, but we're hearing more lately about something that's called, quote-unquote, optimized breathing. Can you tell us what does that mean, and does it imply the presence of respiratory illness that impairs ordinary breathing, or are what people might think of as their ordinary breathing and, quote-unquote, optimized breathing not necessarily the same thing? Uh, let me first start by defining what do you mean by optimal, Right. So um, uh, to be optimal, you make the best or the most uh, effective use of, you know, something, of a resource, of a situation, of an opportunity. So here if we think of, well, we're making use of the resource that um, we're given um, with the 
importance of our lungs actually providing the oxygen for the breath and providing it to the heart and the rest of the body. So the uh, when we're talking about optimal breathing, it is really geared towards, well, what activity are you actually performing? So are you meeting, again, we're going back to the supply and demand of the oxygen itself. And so if you say, when you say something is um, uh, ordinary breathing, ordinarily we don't even think about our breathing. We breathe. You know, breath is the basis of life. And uh, we, you know, we breathe 24-7 for our entire lifespan. So if you talk of the ordinary breathing, that is in, seems to be enough that you are performing the functions of your daily living and you don't even think about your breathing. Where we start to say and where this whole term of the optimized breathing comes in is how are you adapting your breathing or the supply of oxygen uh, to meet the demands of increasing activity or exercise or stress, anything that is imposing a stress on your system so that your body can physiologically adapt to that stress and still continue to function. So uh, I think we have to think of, well, what do we think of as optimal? Because what is optimal for one person may not be completely optimal for another person. And it all depends upon, you know, their underlying um, uh, physiology as well as what action are they actually performing at that time in order to optimize, um, if you want to use that word, to provide what they need for that activity. Do people necessarily know when they're not breathing optimally in those situations? The signs of the body will tell you that you're not um, you're not meeting the demands of your body. So whether it's a stressful situation, when you know we all know when we're stressed, we feel sort of I can't catch my breath type of a thing. Your first instinct is oh my god I can't catch my breath. Or if you're exercising at a at a level that at an intensity that is um, you're not used to you're not comfortable with that is a higher intensity than you um, normally work out at you feel what you call short of breath so you you have um, that sensation of well my body is telling me that I'm working really hard and I probably cannot go any longer when you're working out and when you're stressed out you know you just feel completely like you can't think straight you can't uh, exactly function because of the elevated respiratory rate, your depth of breathing, and the rate of breathing, the amount you're breathing per minute has increased tremendously, and you're trying to keep up with the demands of your body, and you may not necessarily be meeting those demands, and your body is just warning you about it. Can you take us through what a physical therapist can do about this? Physical therapists are able to actually recognize if there is a breathing dysfunction. Uh, I wouldn't even want to call it a breathing dysfunction, but an altered pattern of breathing uh, during an activity. So if we were to perhaps, you know, uh, see a patient in a tremendous amount of pain or if we're seeing a patient who um, is performing an activity at a higher level, we've prescribed a certain activity and uh, with you know, we're not sure, We've, we realize that that person is not able to tolerate that activity, we can kind of see that they're not able to tolerate it, and we can actually optimize that breathing. Again, I'm bringing in that word because that was seemed to be the, the tone of the um, whole interview, is by finding out, well, what exactly are the mechanisms that they're using to cope, and are the mechanisms of the breathing mechanics that they're using to cope really helping them with it. So 
So, for example, if uh, someone is working out at a very high, you know, very high intensity weight, and um, they are completely, you know, they're holding their breath as they are lifting the weights, and you can see the changes in the face. You can palpate the heart rate, see that it's going up, and the person's not really doing well. You just have to re sort of wire their performance in teaching them how to breathe. So in that case, you would say, well, you don't really what you want to be exhaling more as you're exerting, so that you're not increasing your, you know, abdominal pressure. You're not increasing all the the load on your heart, so that you don't risk injury to your muscles as well as your heart because of lack of oxygen. So that's just one example that I'm giving you, and that's probably in a healthy individual who's probably doing a great workout, you know, in a gym or maybe in your wellness practice. Um, You'd, you know, you'd correct people like that. And then again, you can see if, if there is a person who comes to you, say, with an orthopedic issue, but may have some underlying, especially in the elderly, having underlying cardiovascular or pulmonary uh, morbidity or a condition that they've been diagnosed with that actually interferes with some of the exercises that you're prescribing, you can see them use muscles or the accessory muscles that are actually increasing their work of breathing. And then you can just try to correct what they're doing in order to use the correct muscles in order for, for breathing in order to provide the oxygen once again so that they can complete that activity without distress or causing further distress uh, and any kind of injury. So we are able to um, look at a person and see if they are actually tolerating their exercise just by the way they're breathing and if they're not, then we can actually go in and intervene to correct that pattern of breathing so that it gives them the best optimization for that activity. A quick break to tell you about Find a PT, the American Physical Therapy Association's national database of physical therapists. PTs are movement experts who treat people of all ages and abilities, helping them to improve and maintain function and quality of life. Don't wait until you have an injury to see a PT. Contact one today and learn how you can improve your fitness and prevent health problems before they start. You can contact a physical therapist near you, no physician referral required, by going to MoveForwardPT.com. And now, back to this episode of Move Forward Radio. To better visualize how this happens, for, for instance, you, you talked about uh, things like, like weightlifting. Um, is it necessary for you to observe the person engaged in this activity? Are you finding this out by interviewing the person? Are you uh, performing tests on them? How, how does that work? One of the things that we do is observe how they're breathing, observe how they're breathing during an activity. Now, they may not have, if they're coming in healthy, they don't have any other underlying. Our initial assessment might show that everything is just fine. Uh, they're breathing correctly, they're perfusing correctly, um, their heart rates are within range, um, and they're perfectly capable of performing an activity. And then when we go ahead and prescribe the activity, we observe, well, how are they exactly um, performing the activity? What is their breathing pattern during their activity? How is their cardiac system responding to it? Um, How do they feel after they've completed the activity? Because you can have... It's, a, it's really an intricate combination. The breathing system uh, intricately uh, intertwines with our neurological system, with our cardiac system, our vascular system. So we sort of see, well, how do they tolerate that activity? And then it gives us an idea at that time, at least in the initial assessment, well, how much are they going to be able to do and how am I going to plan this 
intervention so that it can be progressed and it can be safely progressed. So at that point, if we find that there is sort of the breathing is interfering with any of the signs or symptoms that they're having, then we can go in and correct the way they're breathing and their breathing mechanics and actually educate them about it and educate them to observe what they're doing so that when they are exercising on their own, they are aware of it. And again, the main thing is to prevent further injury. Are there any such things as, as just general tips for people to, to breathe better, if you will, or breathe more optimally regardless of what the situation might be? You know, when we breathe, ordinary breathing, we don't think about it. And we develop patterns during the course of our lives that uh, are not fully utilizing what our, capable, what our breathing really is capable of, what our ventilatory capacity is capable of. It's just very much like we don't use, you know, a lot of our brains. We don't use, we don't exercise, so we don't use the full potential of our muscles. So it's the same thing where we don't exactly capitalize on how much oxygen we can actually get, on how much our um, uh, breathing muscles can help us in obtaining that oxygen and actually keeping us um, more centered and more alive, so to speak. So the basic thing is our diaphragm is the main muscle of breathing. A lot of us, as we, um, you know, get into our teens, and uh, especially I found ladies, we tend to not want to breathe with the diaphragm because that, when the diaphragm descends, the abdomen bulges out a little bit. So we, we become more of upper chest breathers, um, and although that may be fine for our daily function when we are absolutely healthy or we're not, uh, and we're going about our daily life and nothing's really, you know, we don't find any symptoms, the ideal uh, situation is every once in a while, wherever you are, or even if at night before you go to bed, uh, try and practice a diaphragmatic breathing, which is, you know, allow your um, breath to be in the lowest part of your lungs, where you allow your diaphragm to descend and your belly rises as you inhale, and then your belly collapses as you exhale. So when we actually practice that, then just like other muscles become weaker when we don't exercise, then when we get into a situation when we need to use the diaphragm, it's there for us to help because we have been helping train it through, um, you know, our daily routine. The other thing that you want to do is really ideally encourage people to breathe through the nose. Um, breathing in and out through the nose really helps with, besides the fact that that's the way we were designed to breathe for um, the air to be humidified and get into our system, it also stimulates the um, automatic nervous system, the autonomic nervous system, uh, which regulates, again, the heart and the lungs and um, the neurological system. So we, you know, we, you can train yourself to breathe in and out through your nose. Now, the other thing to do is then you use all your muscles and you take a three-part breath where you use your diaphragm, you use your thoracic or your chest cavity muscles, uh, which are also extremely important for expansion, and then you allow the air to go all the way up to the top part of your lungs or the very top part of the lobes of your lungs so that you take a very, very deep breath and you allow every single airway and every single air sac that is available to you so that it is, again, whenever it is called upon, it is ready for expansion and you can actually, you don't feel uncomfortable when you have to take that kind of a deep breath. Now, those are just some of the simple ones. Now, everybody doesn't, you know, it depends on whether someone has an underlying problem. The exhalation also is extremely important. 
we don't want only focus on inhalation. You also want to focus on complete exhalation. Because when you completely exhale the way the physics of the lungs work and you've completely depleted the volume in your lungs, the atmospheric air will help you inhale with less work of breathing. So your inhale becomes uh, much easier and you're able to fill up your lungs much better. So when you practice that kind of breathing, one, it helps you say, okay, this isn't something abnormal for me that I'm adjusting to. The second thing it does is, because like I said, it does affect your nervous system, it actually gives you that sense of calm. So it's used a lot with the stress management. So during the, just like, you know, exercise imposes stress on you, we have a lot of mental stressors that impose stresses on us, and that also can affect the way we breathe. It does affect the way we breathe. So when we get into the habit of being able to take those deep breaths, being able to calm your system down, then you you don't stack up the stressors day after day after day after day so that ultimately at some point it leads to dis-ease or disease. So, you know, we all know that stress causes a lot of, especially the cardiac issues that we find. So when you start to have that normal pattern of breathing, start to realize every muscle that's uh, been given to us to allow us to breathe, the diaphragm, the intercostal muscles, um, our apical muscles and some of our accessory muscles, then we really understand when we are stressed, when we need to go into uh, a deep breathing mode. And when we suddenly have to go into it, it's not that stressful for us and we're able to adjust with it. In a day-to-day, if you just, in short, if you just practice like the deep diaphragmatic breathing, slow exhalations, breathing in and out through your nose, and a deep three-part breathing, then... It, it helps you physically as well as mentally. So, so when people are stressed, uh, you know, you you might typically tell that person, you know, kind of ingest, take a breath. But what you're saying is there's a lot more wisdom to that, and, and it's a lot deeper than that than, than people might think. Correct, especially if you have a breathing dysfunction and you're already seeing somebody with an altered pattern of breathing, to just force them to just inhale, inhale, or just use diaphragm. That may not even be practical because, especially with some disease states, the diaphragm may not be in a position to work that way. So you have to figure out, well, how do you train them, how do you train that particular person to optimize their breathing for their level of function? So it's not necessarily just one thing that you're going to use or one muscle that you're going to use that's going to be a cure-all or one pattern of breathing that's going to be a cure-all for everything. So... That's where, as physical therapists, we're able to connect the breathing with the function. And we're able to see what exactly, what are the mechanics involved in this, what are the demands involved in this, and how can we connect the two to create the most optimal situation for, again, a comfortable um, activity as well as reduce the risk of injury. So you were just talking about um, what's involved in, in physical therapists in cardiovascular and pulmonary issues. Uh, I, I think uh, it's probably fair to say that most people don't necessarily think of physical therapists in this realm. Could you talk a little bit more about that and specifically what a physical therapist can provide? Uh, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. A lot of people believe that the realm of uh, physical therapy is just with sports medicine or with um, just movement of the arms and legs. And, um, you know, I've had 
many people say, well, how come you work with breathing and why do you say you're a cardiovascular and pulmonary specialist? What do you have to do with the heart and lungs as a physical therapist? And um, I just want people to know that, you know, it's everything is integrated. Our whole functioning of our system is integrated. And as physical therapists in school, we learn about every single system and how it interacts with each other and how a dysfunction in one area impacts another area. And like I said before, we everybody has a heart and um, a pair or at least one lung, and that is the basis of function, the basis of oxygen transport, of oxygen delivery, and oxygen is the basis of life. So without that, the rest of it doesn't function. So if we were to ignore that part, then we're not doing our job as movement experts, which uh, physical therapists are. So um, the message out there is that physical therapists really deal with the whole movement system, which definitely involves, it starts with the cardiovascular and the pulmonary system. It's just something that I feel that uh, would be important for the public to know so that if they do have issues relating to cardiac and pulmonary disorders, that it would be great to seek out a physical therapist. And we also have physical therapists like myself, who are specialized in the cardiovascular and the pulmonary uh, area who would be able to help them and go deeper into their issues and um, help solve their problems. Rohini Chandrasekhar, thank you so much for speaking with uh, Move Forward Radio. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. You've been listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guest is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or find previous episodes at moveforwardpt.com. Move Forward Radio is brought to you by moveforwardpt.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at moveforwardpt.com.